The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... An accessibility update from the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome to ACB Reports for March 2019. Will Schell is an attorney in the Disability Rights Office at the Federal Communications Commission. During the ACB Legislative Seminar, which was held near the end of February, he updated the attendees on various accessibility issues that are addressed by the FCC. What are we doing at the FCC? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Kim was say, said that we just got off a 35-day vacation. That's not true at all. <laughs> it was illegal for us to work. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everybody. I am Will Shell. I'm a, uh, a blind attorney at the Federal Communications Commission Disability Rights Office. I've been here a couple of times, and I just want to give you some updates on some of the things that are going on. Mainly, the first thing I should just uh, mention is that uh, ACB continues to kind of uh, knock on our door, and it, it continues to work. It's getting through. Um, but we need more. <laughs> we need more. The Federal Communications Commission, just like other government agencies, moves forward by being pushed from behind. And, <laughs> and you all have to keep pushing, and you have to keep commenting and you have to keep making your voices heard. The thing I want to start off with right, right away is an example. Uh, the FCC is seeking comments right now on developments uh, in the audio description marketplace. There's a number of questions about audio description that we are asking the public. You may be familiar with this, but there's a whole bunch of questions. Like, uh, we're seeking comments on the extent to which both visually impaired and non-visually impaired customers use audio description. I almost said video description. Many of you know our rules call it video description, but it's uh, audio description. It's just the same thing. Uh, so if I'm reading any part of our rules, I'll wind up saying video description. We also want to know about the benefits that audio description provides to customers or consumers. Uh, what programs do you watch? How much audio description do you watch? How much access information? How, or, or how do you access the information about audio description? Um, so they're asking things like, do you find out if a show is going to be audio described by going to the station's websites? Do you go to the generalized program guides? Has that ever worked? Do they provide information on the general program guides about audio description? I know, I know, that was rhetorical. I know the answer to that. Um, and uh, how effective are these systems, right? Uh, I went to a website to look up, I won't name the channel, uh, but I went to a website to look up what programs were being audio described, and it gave me the listings for programs from 2011, so could could still be could still be showing those, but I you know this question this this series of questions they want to know how 
how can we calculate, how can the FCC calculate the value of audio descriptions uh, for people who are blind or visually impaired? These are really tough questions, some of these. Um, and they need ACB's input. They need actually, they need, you know, anyone who has a stake in this audio description uh, world to file comments. So, and then they have a couple more questions uh, about have you seen any developments in the marketplace about offering more than one secondary audio channel, more than one audio track? So anyway, I should just say right out of the gate, uh, if you want to file comments, you can go to fcc.gov slash ECFS. That's the electronic comment uh, filing system. Yeah, ECFS slash filings. So fcc.gov slash ECFS slash filings. And then if you type into the preceding 11-43, that number will bring you to the area where you can file comments on audio description. Comments are due by April 1st. Reply comments are due by May 2nd. And believe me, I know that there was a whole bunch of stuff. I really want people to file comments. But you can email me directly. You can also go to our website. We have a listserv where we post this information. I'd be happy to send it out to anybody and everybody about where you can read all of the comments and information and how to file and, and all that stuff. But my email address, which I'll give out again and again, is will.shell at fcc.gov, W-I-L-L dot S-C-H-E-L-L at fcc.gov. And I'll also pitch very quickly, because Tony left me an extra 10 minutes, I'll pitch you uh, that you should consider subscribing to our listserv. We don't over-email uh, people. <laughs> we just send out when there is an FCC-related, disability-related issue. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily blindness-related. It's uh, closed captioning stuff, or it's uh, you know, something for other disability populations. But it's not actually an overwhelming amount of, it's the only time you won't be overwhelmed by the amount of uh, information that comes from an email account. You can just send subscribe to accessinfo at fcc.gov. We are always working on interesting issues. And I'll mention a few of them that we're, that we're kind of always working on and trying to improve uh, at the Disability Rights Office and at the FCC in general. We have various rules regarding the accessibility requirements of televisions and telephones and devices that use advanced communication services uh, or play video programming. So for example, telecommunication devices have to be accessible, they have to be compatible with accessibility devices like braille displays, and they have to be usable in the sense that you can read the instruction manual in an accessible format. We have rules that require captioning on TV and the internet, and we have rules that require text messaging and email and instant messaging be accessible. We have rules that require the internet browsers on mobile phones be accessible. And we have a whole bunch of rules that require emergency information be accessible, both on television and on mobile phones. That's just a few of the rules that we are kind of regularly involved with. We don't only promulgate rules about accessibility. We also administer one of my favorite programs, the National Deafblind Equipment Distribution Program. That's right, Kim, Kim say, say it along with me. The NDBEDP. <laughs> <laughs> That's, a, <laughs> that's right, also called I Can Connect, the much more palatable I Can Connect. 
Um, it's a $10 million a year program that distributes telecommunication equipment to people who are low income and deaf blind. And it really is exciting because it puts the equipment in the hands of people who need it so that they can sometimes for the first time access the telecommunication system, right? Call for that pizza. Anyway, it's a $10 million a year program. It started off in uh, 2012. It was a pilot program in 2012. And now it's a permanent program. So I would just always like to mention that. Let me talk about uh, emergency information just for a moment. Please. We are always concerned about people who are blind or visually impaired getting the necessary emergency information. And uh, if you're blind and watching television and you hear that emergency information noise, which is like a three beeps in a row, uh, you may want to turn on the secondary audio stream so that you can then hear whatever is scrolling along the bottom of the screen. Uh, and the secondary audio channel will read out loud the emergency information. Sometimes they'll just read it forever. They'll just keep reading it and reading it. We've been told uh, about a hurricane that was coming and the bottom of the screen was showing that emergency information for three days, saying this hurricane's coming in two days, this hurricane's coming for one day. And it occupied the secondary audio channel with that repeating. Um, that's, a very, that's a very interesting situation that I don't know when we'll be able to address that particular thing, but um, there's a bigger concern of if you can't switch over to your secondary audio channel in a quick manner because most of the time it doesn't the the emergency alert doesn't read for three days most of the time it reads it twice and that's it so one of our rules requires that when you hear that noise um, that you be able to switch over to the secondary audio stream in a simple and easy to use method there's a, there, there's supposed to be a simple and easy to use method to switch to the secondary audio stream if you don't believe that your method for switching to the secondary audio stream is simple and easy to use, and you heard one of those uh, emergency noises, you should probably reach out to me and file a complaint. Uh, we'll try to figure out whether or not it complies with our rules or not. The other thing is that most cable and satellite companies now are providing a second screen viewing. This is where you have your TV and your cable box but you actually just watch TV on your tablet or on your phone through your cable system. Well, there's also a requirement that they pass through that emergency information to that second screen. And there's a couple of caveats with it. You have to be watching regular television, right? So TV that's airing right then, and it has to be on the same uh, internet network that's provided by the cable company. So you can't be in a Starbucks watching TV on your smartphone and expect the emergency information to make it through. Under our rules, though, if you're in your own home on their own network uh, watching TV on your smartphone, then they would have to provide that emergency information. So we should all be watching TV on our phones. That's what it says. <laughs> now, I want to remind everyone about the FCC's rules that require set-top boxes to be accessible and also all of the other devices that play video programming. So in this context, we're talking about accessible user interfaces for us, right? For people who are blind or visually impaired. 
We're talking about people who are blind or visually impaired being able to operate all or nearly all of the functions on these devices, such as the settings and the menus and the channel selection and start and stop and fast forward. Most of this is accomplished through a speech synthesizer, as we're, most of us are familiar with. But they could come up with some other way. I don't know how that would be, but they could do it. Our rules don't require the speech synthesizers. There are separate rules for cable and satellite and fiber companies, fiber, fiber optic TV companies, and there's separate rules for all other devices that play video programming. And I just want to start with the big one, the cable, satellite, and fiber optic TV. From now on, I'm just going to call them the cable companies rather than the cable, satellite, and fiber optic. So if you're a cable subscriber to one of the top 14 cable companies, you should already have the accessible solution. All right, I'm going to call it accessible solution because it doesn't necessarily have to be a set-top box. I'll explain it in, in a second. But um, if you don't have that, you should reach out and contact them and let them know, hey, I want the accessible system. My office received a lot of complaints in the last two years that these top 14 companies had to have accessible solutions. And we have resolved many of the problems that initially came out. Now, I know not, not everything is perfect. Um, but you should get ready to do it again uh, because now, as of just uh, last December, just a couple of months ago, all the other cable and satellite companies now have to have accessible interfaces. So reach out to your rural brothers and sisters and say, <laughs> you've got that tiny cable company and they're supposed to have an accessible set-top box. And I expect it to be a much of the same thing of surprises, a lot of customer service that doesn't know what's going on. And you're going to like file the complaints, tell them to file a complaint with my office, tell them to re you know, keep pushing and keep pushing because once these things get worked out, the customer service system seems to figure out how it operates. They figure out how to do the billing right, right? Because they're not supposed to charge extra money for accessible set-top boxes. So if someone is paying $50 a month uh, and they request an accessible set-top box, and that is the fanciest box that this company makes, they have to provide the fancy box and it has to remain 50 bucks. $50, why did I write $50? No one is possibly paying $50. <laughs> A month for their cable, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> so there's a bunch of other rules that I think also the early adopters, the people who pushed and, and called the cable companies and said, I'm, I'm supposed to have an accessible set-top box now. Uh, there's a lot of other rules that they helped smooth out. So you, you might chuckle at some of these, but it, they're getting better and better, and it was because of the complaints filed but uh, these cable companies, they have to make the, getting the boxes generally easy to get. And they have to have an accessible website that lists who you can speak to to find out more information about the accessible set-top box. That person has to be able to explain how to get the device and how to use the accessible functions on the device. Now, even though they're getting better and I know that they're not perfect, the cable companies have a lot of flexibility in how they can achieve their accessible user interfaces. Some companies have set-top boxes. Some use accessible tablets with apps that control the set-top box. 
while others uh, provide a different add-on, like a Roku device or some, some other device. And they're allowed to do this, uh, but it still has to be usable. So um, now everybody, please call your small and mid-sized cable companies and ask them for your accessible device. <laughs> if they don't have one and if, they're, if you're unsure if the one that they provided to you is meeting our rules, you should feel free to call me or file a complaint. Filing a complaint's no big deal. If they're complying with the rules, then we'll let you know. If they're not, then the company needs to fix their system up. I want to warn you, just give you a little caveat, that there are a few cable companies that have been given a waiver from the accessible requirements. They are an extremely small number of cable companies that run analog cable systems. These are extremely rural, like the example that I had seen was, uh, this is like a, a farmer who strings cable up to his other farmer friends and <laughs> receives it. So there is, there, there still are a few of them around, but my understanding is that it is a very small population, but we'll find out. Don't let that deter you. We'll find out whether they have to provide an accessible box or not. The other set of accessible user interface rules covers any device that plays video programming. That's everything that plays video except for the cable boxes. These things are TVs, smart TVs, tablets, smartphones, right? These play video programming. Removable media players. These are Amazon Fire Sticks and Apple TVs and Roku's. Uh, computers fall into this category. The panel that's coming up after this is, is talking about autonomous cars. If there's a screen in your autonomous car playing video, then it has to be accessible under our rules, that screen in your autonomous car. Uh, if your smart toaster plays a video, <laughs> it has to be accessible. And the accessibility rules apply to these devices uh, and not only to the devices, but to any apps or video players that come pre-installed on there. Uh, it does not apply to any app that you can get through the App Store, but if they include the app on it when you buy it, or if they tell you to download it, or if they tell you on the box, like, this is the programs you should be watching on here, then it's covered under our rules and it has to be accessible. Uh, and accessible, as we defined as accessing the settings and the menus and the start and stop and play. Some TVs that I've seen in the store, they'll say right on the box, pre-installed thousands of apps. And that means under our rules, thousands of apps that have to meet the accessibility requirement uh, under our rules. I don't, I don't know if any of them are accessible. I mean, there might be just five, <laughs> five of them. But, but who knows, maybe they're all accessible. These devices must be accessible if they're manufactured on or after December 20th, 2016. So we're living in the future now, it's 2019, and these things are everywhere. You can find accessible TVs from multiple manufacturers right in the store. You can find accessible DVD players and anything, uh, things that play video programming. You can find them accessible right in the same store. If you can convince the guy in Best Buy to figure out how to get into the menus, it should be on the TV. He should be able to start having an accessible television right there in the store. But you should check with people or uh, check with the manufacturer or, or try it out before you buy it because 
some people's accessibility solutions are better than others. And I always like to emphasize that this isn't a trivial matter. We spend tons of money on these services and on the devices. And these things are, you know, they're a really important part of our culture and society. And I know blind and visually impaired people watch just as much television and video programming as sighted people do, which is a total ton load. Like, we watch so much television. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about saying, you know, it's time for this stuff to be accessible, especially because things are moving forward at a, at a fast pace. Now, all these devices are supposed to have a simple and easy to use mechanism to turn on and off the secondary audio stream, something like a button key or icon. If you can't turn on and off the secondary audio stream, you won't be able to hear the audio descriptions or the emergency information. Now, let me just uh, leave the accessible interfaces really quickly and go into the audio description. Uh, audio description for us, uh, again, video description, audio description for uh, the FCC is the same thing. And right now, the FCC has a rule which requires most of the popular channels uh, that they provide audio description on the secondary audio stream. You all are familiar with audio description, but in case there's anyone listening or anyone in the room who doesn't know, because I'm always surprised at how many people don't know about audio description at all. It's where there's narrated descriptions of key visual elements. And they, these verbal descriptions are inserted into the pauses of the program's dialogue. And they describe things like costumes and uh, settings and uh, contextual information. So our rules right now require that local television stations of... Uh, ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC, right, the broadcast stations, in the top 60 markets, that they have to provide 50 hours per quarter of audio-described primetime and children's programming. Uh, 50 hours per quarter is about four hours a week. And then also the top five non-broadcast networks, so that's your cable channels. Uh, since the last time I was here, the channels have changed. Uh, it is no longer the same five non-broadcast channels that they were before. Now the new cable channels are HGTV, History, TBS, Discovery, and USA. Apparently those are the most popular. I think we lost Disney and TNT. Those two switched with Discovery and HGTV. Those channels also have to provide 50 hours per quarter of audio-described primetime and children's programming. And just as was mentioned, on July 1st of last year, we expanded uh, the amount of audio description that was required, increased by 75%, adding 37 and a half hours, but it does not necessarily have to be for primetime or children's programming. It can be any programming between 6 a.m. and midnight. I'm running out of time, and I like, I like the questions, even when they're, even when they're mean questions. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to run through the, um, the last bit, which is that we have a federal advisory committee called the Disability Advisory Committee. ACB's on that advisory committee. Uh, Tony, Tony was on there uh, last year. I think Eric was on there the year before. Uh, Claire Stanley's on. And we're looking forward to, we're just starting a brand new term, and we're looking forward to more dialogue about kind of all of the telecommunications and video programming issues around people with disabilities it's a very interesting kind of atmosphere. Here's the last bit. I'm going to tell you my email address. Uh, you can send me questions. You can file complaints with me. Will.shell at FCC.gov. W-I-L-L 
S-C-H-E-L-L at FCC.gov. You can also email general questions to DRO at FCC.gov. That's Disability Rights Office. And then also we have a pretty decent website that has consumer guides and explains our rules uh, in there. FCC.gov slash disability. And don't forget to sign up for our, uh, oh, uh, it's just sounding like a YouTube video. Like and subscribe and uh, thumbs up and do all that stuff. Um, but I, I, I do recommend subscribing to our listserv access info at FCC.gov. You can just send an email to that saying, sign me up. Thanks, everybody, and uh, good to see you this year. That was Will Shell, an attorney in the Disability Rights Office at the Federal Communications Commission in Washington, D.C. As ACB Reports concludes this month, here's a reminder that you can listen to the ACB Advocacy Update via the Audio Now hotline. To listen, call 605-475-8154 and select Option 5. You can use this same number to hear the ACB Braille Forum, the ACB eForum, the Mini Mall Catalog, and this program. Again, that number is 605-475-8154. Your telephone service long distance and minute rates will apply. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ACB Reports.